Amen. All right. Hey, good morning. It's good to see you in the house of the Lord today. Thank you so much for coming. And a good crowd today. Praise the Lord for that. I hope you, I hope you caught the words of this song. The whole set, worship set, um, has been about fear and uh, about overcoming fear. And I love the line in that song where she says, talking about fear, something has to give, so I give up you. Isn't that great? Isn't that a great line? And then, of course, today, we're, we're kind of finishing Elijah. Now, you remember what I said? We went, like, the whole summer really dealing with the armor of God, you know, that part. And then we had two more messages that we saved from Elijah. And so we're going to finish up Elijah today. And then next week, we're going to spend our time in 2 Timothy chapter 4. And we're going to see how Paul finished well also. So two different men, two different total approaches of how they, um, how they overcame uh, fear and how they had victory um, in their lives. Now, our sermon title today is, again, keeping in mind the kind of the military motif, is counterintelligence. Counterintelligence. And what this is, um, it basically boils down to it's an agency or an activity that has a plan to prevent um, spying, okay, um, sabotage, and most interesting enough, assassination. Assassination. And that's what leads us so well into Elijah. Now, we know the story of Elijah. Um, Jezebel threatened him with assassination. And so he heads out, runs away. He runs to um, Beersheba, leaves his servant there, and keeps going into the desert. He gets to this place where there's a broom tree. We're going to talk a little bit about the broom tree today. And he gets there, and finally he says, Hey, you know, God, I'm done. I've had enough. I want to die. And then he prays this bitter prayer. And he says, God, take my life because I am no better uh, than my ancestors before me. I failed and I'm as good as dead because Jezebel has threatened me. And we've all maybe not been to that extent, but we've had that fear of that threat. And we you know, say, God, I've just had enough. Things seem so dark. So we're going to look at Elijah's life now. So let's look at our first teaching slide. It kind of sets things up for us. You know, sadly, and it is sad, by the way. So, so sadly, Elijah has wandered into the valley of the shadow of death. You know, none of us, you know, Elijah didn't wake up one day and say, you know what, you know, I think I'll just take a journey into the valley of the shadow of death. You know, he has this great victory with Mount Carmel, has all that going on, and then he finds himself running in fear from this evil queen, and he finds himself in the valley of the shadow of death. He finds himself in a place of darkness. And truth be known, you've probably been there. Truth be known, I have been there. I have been there. And he didn't intentionally wake up and, and go there. He just kind of wandered into it. You know, the valley of the shadow of death is, is almost a place where you don't plan a trip. You just find yourself wandering along, wandering along. I was, when we were down in, or excuse me, over in England, one day we were, Tim and I were walking back from our activity at church, and I said, hey, Tim, I think I'm going to go this way. I told you I'll be back after a while. I'm going to go this way. And I thought I knew where I was. I had no clue. And I honestly got lost in, in uh, Leicester, England. And so I walked and walked and walked and walked and finally found the river and followed the river and still didn't know where I was. And eventually I hit a road um, that I recognized. I didn't intentionally set out to get lost. I intentioned. My intention was to find the river so Jean and I could take a walk along the river. 
And uh, boy, I got lost. So we, we somehow wander into the valley of the shadow of death. But the second thing, there's three here. The second one is this. Worse, he isn't sure if God will or can come through. So he wanders into the valley of the shadow of death. You know, he wanders this very difficult place of his, uh, of his life. And then, and then he gets there, and he's not sure. All he can see in his mind is Jezebel's threat saying, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. And so all of a sudden, the God that delivered him several times, that God, he's just not sure if God will. He's not sure God will. And he's not sure God can. And so it leads him into an even darker place. And yet it gets worse yet because he goes from that to he isn't looking for a way out. He's looking for a place to die. I don't know if you've been there or not. We've known some people in our lives who have. They're not looking for an escape route. They're not, looking, they're not looking for an exit from the valley of the shadow of death unless that exit involves death. So Elijah is here, and he's looking for a place to die. Now, it would have been so good if Elijah had learned earlier what David learned. King David in the Bible, of course, wrote so many of the Psalms, and he wrote Psalm 139, and 139 verses 7, 8, 9, 10. I mean, they are just tremendous verses. And boy, if you are taking notes today, if you've got your pencil out, or if you've got the worship event out, you need to make sure you've got this marked in your Bible because it's just so powerful. It starts out in verse number 7 where, where the psalmist writes, David writes and says, Where can I go? Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Now, this is one of those good news, bad news things. If you find yourself in the valley of the shadow of death, and it seems so hopeless, you can't see a light at the end of the tunnel. The, the thought, the question, you know, where can I go? implies it's almost impossible. In fact, it is impossible to find a place where God's not there. So, so if, you're, if you find yourself lost and in darkness, oh my, this is good news. This is great news. Oh wow, God's going to be there. But it might be you're on the lamb. It might be you're on the run. It might be you're not lost. You're running from God. Elijah was. And so in that case, it might be bad news. Because what you're going to find out, what, what you're going to find out is that you cannot go to a place where God's not. If you, if you are trying to escape from God, I've got news for you, you can't. Because no matter where you go, God is going to be there. Where can I escape from your spirit? Where can I flee your presence? And then he launches into verses 8 and 10, 8 through 10, and it's just so powerful. You know, he says, so what, so here's the deal. If if I if I go up to heaven, if I could climb, if I could climb the highest mountain there is, and then peer up into the outer space, if I if I could get to heaven, guess what I will find there? Well, no surprise. But since it's heaven, we would go, well, you kind of expect to find God. Bingo! That's what you'd find. He says, if I go to heaven, God, you are there. But listen to this. He says, if I make my bed in Seol, and Seol is the place of the dead. The place of dead. He said, if I find myself in the valley of the shadow of death, 
If I find myself in a place where there's nothing but darkness, when I find myself in a place where the, the doctor gives the terminal diagnosis, um, when, when you find yourself in a place where your, your marriage is on life support and you're just not sure, you know, if you find yourself in a place at school or in, 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 you know, where you're going, that there just seems to be no hope. You know, so many young people wrestle with these dark places. These young, you know, young people, it's hard. Hey, guys, students, it's hard to be a student today. I mean, it was somewhat difficult in my day, but you guys have got it difficult. Well, well the psalmist comes on and says, hey, hey, good news. If, if you find yourself in the darkest valley you can imagine, God, you're there. Isn't that good news? God, you're there. Hey, if I live, oh, I love this. If, if I live at the eastern horizon or settle at the western limits. So if I go as far as I can to the east, God, guess what I'm going to find? I'm going to find you. You're there. Or if I go as far as I can to the right and I go to the western limits, guess what, God? You are there. He goes, even there. Even there, your hand will lead me. In fact, he says, your right hand, your strong hand will hold on to me. Now, this is big news. Are you ready? Okay. So whether you go up or down, left or right, no matter where you're going, God will be there. No matter what your circumstances, your situation is, if you go up or if you go down, if you go left or to the right, no matter where you go, you're going to find out that God is there. And that is just such powerfully tremendous news. And then he goes on, David goes on and says in verse number 11, So, if I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light around me will be night. So, so this is almost like he is on the run. He's on the lamb. He said, well, I know what I'll do. I'll know what I'll do. I'll run to a place of darkness, and that will hide me. And, or perhaps, you know, we'll go to a place where even the light seems like darkness. People run that far. Good news. He goes on and says this. Write this down. Even the darkness is not dark to you. In the valley that you are in right now, in the state of depression that you are in right now, in, in your state of despair that you are in right now, in your state of discouragement that you are there right now. Hey, students, again, if it's that way you are, man, you don't know what's, you know, mom and dad are threatening a divorce. You're not sure about how, what you're going to do about school, what's your future look like. In that darkest time, listen, you need to know something. Even the darkness is not dark to God. Even the darkness is not dark to God. And he goes one step further. The night shines like day. He says, when, when the night overwhelms me to God, it's just like noon. It's just like daylight. He goes on and says, darkness and light are alike to you. Wow. So you need to know, if you are a child of God, I need to tell you that you've got a dearest daddy who loves you so much. And you need to understand, he is going to be there for you. Whether you go up or down, left or right, you have a dearest father who will be there for you. And, and no matter how dark your situation seems, he's got great night vision. He doesn't, he's not impacted. He's not in, in, affected by the darkness. You might say... God works the night shift. That's good news. God works the night shift. In 1994, a man named Ron Miel, he was a pastor in Oregon. He started this church with about three dozen people and then eventually grew the church to 6,000 people. And 1994, 
He wrote a book called, and it's still available by the way, God Works the Night Shift. And he talked about how that when it seems so dark and it seems like God isn't or can't do, he is. When God isn't or seems like he can't, he is. And what makes the book so powerful is that for 20 years, Ron battled leukemia. At age 59 in 2003, he died. But he died believing that God works the night shift. He died believing that whether it's up, down, left, or right, God would be there. And I want you to take that home today. I want you to take that home today. I want you to leave this place believing, because not because Dwayne said it, but because God said it. God, you know, God said, the night shines like the day. Darkness and light are alike to me. Take that home with you even today. So with Elijah, he didn't have, he had this truth. He just didn't apply this truth. He's kind of like, I, I said this in the first service, you know, it was kind of like this. You remember last week we talked about the Wizard of Oz? Remember we talked about Dorothy and, and the straw guy, strong guy, straw guy, and, and the tin man, you know? And they had this little discussion about lions, tigers, and bears. And they start walking, and every step was lions, tigers, and bears. Oh my, lions and tigers and bears. And it overwhelmed them. They, 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 became, they became just full of fear because they, you know, their, their mind was hearing what their mouth was saying, and they overcame fear. You know, what would have been, how would it have been different? If Elijah walked this valley, not saying lions and tigers and bears, oh my, but rather saying, I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. I am no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. What a difference it would have made. But like us, when Elijah looked at the future, he could see a funeral. And what it made it so difficult was the funeral was his. He could not see a way where God could or would deliver him from this evil queen Jezebel. And so he looked in the future, he saw his death, he saw his funeral. And it owned him. It consumed him. Our next teaching point is really good. It says, our anxiety and exhaustion. Our anxiety and exhaustion. You almost need to put exhaustion and anxiety. Because when we get exhausted, we get anxiety. They're like married together, but kind of in that order. Our anxiety and exhaustion, exhaustion does not come only from thinking about the future. Sometimes the fear, the future is fearful, but sometimes it's more than just thinking about the future, but rather from wanting to control it and failing. It's, it's looking at the future, and with everything you've got, you want to control the outcome of your future, and you will fail. There are some things you can change in your future, but there are some things you cannot. One word. COVID. COVID. 
You know, we all, we all know people in our past or perhaps our present. We understand this. People are filled with anxiety. We know someone, again, who went to the doctor and got the diagnosis, who went to the lawyer and got, and got the paper served. They're, they're filled with anxiety and exhaustion. They're wore out. We all know people of this. We know people who are consumed with the future. We know people who are totally exhausted because they want to control their future and they can't. We get that. But in 2020, it wasn't one or two. It was the whole culture. We were owned by COVID fear. We were anxious. Can somebody say amen? Do you remember? We were anxious. And that anxiety led to exhaustion. And we wanted to change it, didn't we? We we wanted to change it. The economy shut down. We wanted to change it. Our friends were getting sick. We wanted to change it. There were people dying. We wanted to change it. And we could not. And it was very impactful. So in our next verse, in verse number five, the first part, we read that, so Elijah lay down and slept under the broom tree, broom tree, exhausted and worn out. Filled with anxiety, he lays down to die. I've often said, it's time for a moment of transparency. You need to know that being a pastor of even a good church like Dorisville was very, very difficult during COVID. At, in 2020, I had served with you for 20 years. And the bottom line is, we, you know, as, as a leader, I pretty much kept us on the same page. It didn't mean I got my way. It didn't mean you got your way. It wasn't about that. It's that we're almost always ready and willing to stay on the same page. We led through 2012, the terrible tornado, and watched as our church stepped up and housed hundreds of people who came to work and repair our neighborhood. But nothing compares to 2020. We were multiple pages it wasn't that we couldn't go and say, there are too many pages to choose from. The largest one was, of course, the mask issue. Some were saying, oh, we absolutely have to wear masks. And some are saying, I will not wear a mask. And I would leave deacons meetings exhausted because I was doing the very best I can to keep our family together. And I was not doing a very good job. I was doing the best I could. I just wasn't doing a very good job. And too many times... I left the office or I left a meeting filled with anxiety and filled with exhaustion. I can identify with what Elijah felt. I wanted to find me a broom tree. I didn't want to die, but I needed to lay down and check out. Anyone else have that experience? Talk, talk about the guy who owns a restaurant here in town. Talk about the guys, the, the, the people. What about teachers? What about the teachers who are doing their very best to teach their students and, and it was just changing by the moment? Think about parents who are looking for, for, for child care. Those who still could go to work. It was crazy. 
It was crazy. So a lot of people were looking for broom trees to check out under. So that leads us to our next teaching point. Taking a nap. Taking a nap. You know, sometimes, sometimes, the most spiritual, the most essential thing you can do is take a nap. We live in a culture that wears us down. And sometimes, the wisest and most spiritual thing we can do is to take a nap. See, we are image bearers. And you remember reading in the Bible where God created this whole thing and he worked for six days. And what did he do on the seventh day? He rested. He rested. And see, we are image bearers. We bear the, we bear the image of Almighty God. And if God had to take time to rest, guess what we need to do? We need to take time to rest. Yeah, Vance Havener, um, he's like in heaven, but he was famous for his one-liners, uh, Christian one-liners. And this was one of his. Vance Havener said, if you don't come apart, you will come apart. Now it goes back to King. You really need to appreciate the King James Version of the Bible to really get what he was saying. Because in, in this scripture we're going to read in just a moment, uh, in Mark chapter uh, 6 and verse 31, you know, Jesus said in the King James, did y'all know Jesus spoke King James? Well, yeah, no, just kidding. You know, he, said, he said, let us come apart and get away. So that's what Habner was talking about there. You know, when he said, hey, you know, let, let's, let's, let's not come apart. Let's get apart. And Matthew 6, uh, 30, or excuse me, Mark 6, 31, here's what Jesus said. Then Jesus said, now who said this? Jesus. The Son of God said this. It wasn't Peter whining. Jesus, it's been a long day. It wasn't John saying, I'm tired. It was Jesus, the Son of God. He said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place. And rest a while. Brothers and sisters, please take this home today. We have got to find time to rest. You, look at me, you cannot sustain, I cannot sustain the pace we are keeping. We have got to find a way to rest. A very common scripture um, is Matthew And uh, verse number 11, 28, I think it's through 30. Look at this. Now, let this be, pretend like you're reading this for the first time. Pretend you're sitting with Jesus, okay, and you've been to church five times. You've been to ball games ten times. You've been working 60 hours a week trying to provide for your family, and you're just exhausted. And this is what Jesus says. He says, hey, come to me. Come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, come to me. All of you who are exhausted and tired, come to me. All of you who have who've worked and worked and worked and ran and ran and ran, all of you who are weary and burdened, come to me, and I'm going to give you rest. There's this amazing rest that we find in Jesus. 
See, see, when we understand who Jesus is, you know, the Son of God, and that He's got our future in His hands, He's got all the things we worry about in His hands, when we understand that, there's a rest. Because if He's worrying about it, I don't need to. Let me change that. If He's handling it, I don't have to worry about it. Because Jesus don't worry. Take up my yoke. Take, take up my way of doing life. And learn from me. Because I am lowly and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. Well, I look forward to vacations. But you know what? We need to crave the rest of Jesus even more. Come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy. And my burden is light. I was talking to one of my kids on Friday. And uh, I said, hey, you going to be home tonight? It was Friday. I said, you going to be home tonight? He goes, no. He says, we've got, here he goes. He goes, we've got this, 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 and this. And then we've got this, 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 and this. And then on Sunday afternoon, we've got this, this, and this. You know, I said jokingly, I'll see you at Christmas. But that's the life we live, isn't it? Isn't, come on now, be honest. Be honest. Isn't that how life is? The answer, I guess there's several, but one of them's got to be come to Jesus. Come to Jesus for the rest that he can provide. Well, it's time to move on. In verse number 5, okay, uh, back, back with Ezekiel or with Elijah, okay. So in verse number 5, but as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him to get up and eat. Now, this is so full of meaning, okay. This is something the Lord shared with me this morning as I was putting the finishing touches on this message. And I think it's very powerful. While Elijah was sleeping, God was working. Isn't that great? So so you're saying, Dwayne, I can't... Oh, this is fixing to be good. I can't rest. Look at my calendar. Look at my schedule. I can't rest. Who will do? While you took some rest, God will be working. While you're taking time to re- restore yourself, God will be working on your behalf. That's just what he does. An angel touched him and told him, Get up, whoa, 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 this is important. What, what is Elijah doing under the tree? Yeah, he's resting, he's planning on dying. Yeah, did you notice he didn't have any provisions? He's there to die. God, I'm ready to die. I've had enough. Take my life. And he lays down and waits for death to come. You know how it is. If you've been close to someone who died, what happens? They stop eating and they sleep. They stop eating and they the appetite goes away and they simply don't want to eat. And they sleep more and more and more until their life slips away. That's what Elijah's doing. He's waiting for death to come knocking on his door. What does God do? God shows up and gives him food. You want to know why? He was planning death and God was planning life. 
Now listen, I don't know where you are. I don't know how difficult your life is. You might be planning death. You can't wait for death to come. I want you to know God's got a plan for your life. God's got a plan for your life. He brings food to him. And he wakes him up. Kind of like, sounds like a TV series. He was touched by an angel. An angel wakes him up and says, get up and eat. Because you need nourishment. Because you're not going to die. You're going to live. And so it goes on and says this. So he looked around, verse number 6. He, he looked around and there beside his head was some baked, bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and then he laid down again. I don't know. I, I, I want to be careful not to put too much into Scripture. But why do you think the author said he looked around and there beside his head? God knew he needed to eat. He made it easy. Elijah did not even have to get up, Danny. All he had to do was roll over and there was lunch. So he rolls over next to his head. He gets some bread. He gets some water. He ate, and then he drank, and then he laid down again. How powerful is that? Do you see something there? Do you remember Zarephath, those of you who have been with us through the summer? You remember Zarephath? And that's where you know, God sends Elijah to Zarephath. He said, there's going to be a widow lady who's going to you know, provide for you. He gets there, and there's the widow lady. He says, hey, widow lady, one, can I have some water? And two, will you bake me some bread? She says, yes, you can have some water. And all I've got is a little bit of flour, a little bit of oil. That's all I've got. I'm going to make a little bread for my son and I, and we're going to die. Elijah said, tell you what. I want you to make a loaf of bread with that, but I want you to give it to me and then trust God for the rest. She does. And man, the whole time of the drought, the oil and the flour never ran out. How crazy is that? How awesome is that? And so now we see this again. It's like God is saying, Elijah, Jane, Sue, George, Bill. Mellow! You remember how I was there to help you? I'll be there to help you again. God talking, not the preacher. You remember how I was there in the past? You remember how I was there for Zarephath? I'm going to be there now. The God of the past is the same God of the present. And the God of the present is the God of the future. He who succeeded in the past will will succeed in your present. And the God who succeeds in your present will succeed in your future. That's just the God that he is. So he lay down and he went to sleep. This is the third time, teaching point. This is the third time. There was Cherith, there was Zarephath, and there's now. This is the third time that God provides physically for Elijah. And why does he do this? He does it to prove he is more than adequate for him 
emotionally and spiritually. He's saying, Elijah, if I can provide bread and water for you, now listen, if I can provide bread and water for you, I can meet your emotional needs. And if I can meet your physical and emotional needs, I want you to know something. I can meet your spiritual needs. See, you may have bread to eat, but your heart is breaking today. You're emotionally, you are bone dry. I want to tell you there is a God who can meet your emotional needs. Can I say this? There's a woman here today or on the sound of my voice on the radio or on Facebook, and your emotional needs are not being met by your husband. Your husband is not assigned to meet your emotional needs. God is. Let him meet them. Let, he, let them be met by the God who can. We try to meet our spiritual needs by religion and church. God never intended our spiritual needs to be met by by church or religion. He intended to be met by His Son, Jesus Christ. Let Jesus meet them. He's teaching him that he is a God who can meet needs. Well, in verse number 7, the angel shows up again and touches him again and, and, and says, Get up, eat some more, because the journey ahead will be too much for you. Wait, the journey? Apparently, Elijah, God knows Elijah's starting to wake up from this thing about death and says, well, maybe maybe I should take a journey. So, so he's going to plan a journey. It's kind of funny. He's going to plan a journey. He's going to get up from a broom tree where he intended to die, and he's going to go to a cave on, on Mount Sinai and tell God what he thinks. That's a better choice, but not a lot. The journey is going to be too great. So he eats again. Now, our teaching point says this. You need to know God knows. God knows the journey even before we walk it and cares enough to prepare us for it. This was not God's journey for Elijah. Elijah God never told Elijah to even leave. But isn't it cool that God still provides for him? Even when we mess up, even when our plans are crazy, even when our plans go awry, God still loves, God still cares, and God still provides. So in verse number 8 and verse number 9, the first part, Elijah gets up and eats and drinks, and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights. That's a long journey. It's some 250 miles. So he made this huge journey where? To Mount Sinai. Again, Mount Sinai is the mountain of God where Moses got the Ten Commandments. So it's really intentional. He travels 40 days to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. And there he came to the cave where he spent the night. Now, you notice I put that in brackets because I think most translations say a cave. But the article is definitive in the Hebrew. And it literally means the cave was probably famous. It was renowned. And a lot of theologians believe that he didn't wander just into any cave. He ended up in the very cave where Moses was put by God. You remember the story? Moses said, I want to see you. God said, you can't see me and live. But I tell you what I will do. I'll let you see my my backside, my hindsight. So God puts him in the cleft of the rock, the cave, and then passes by. And Elijah ends up in that very, very cave. And God chooses to speak to him. So in verse 9, the second part, God speaks and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? 
Now, it could be one of two things. First, he might be saying, Elijah, why aren't you back where I put you? Have God ever said that to you? You know, you kind of did your own thing, and God says in a sweet way, but he tells you the truth. What are you doing here? I had you here. So he could be saying that. Or maybe God is saying, why are you here on Mount Sinai where you knew you would find me and in the cave where you knew you would find me? What are you doing here? And, and Elijah gives him this answer. Go ahead and get that teaching point uh, about the answers, Eli. You know, here's the deal. His answer was a grab bag of truth, half-truths, and no truth. In other words, it was a yes, a sort of, and a no. Let's look what he said. Here's what he says in verse number 10. Elijah replied to God, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty. And he had. And maybe you're here today and you're going, I don't understand what's going on in my life. I'm in this time of darkness and I really tried to serve God. And that was probably true. This had nothing to do with him zealously serving God. Had nothing to do with that. It's about faith, trusting, and God coming through. I I have zealously served the Lord God. And, and the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you. They've torn down your altars and killed every one of your prophets. And that's sort of true. I mean, last time I checked, there's a revival going on because of Mount Carmel. So there's something going on. And not all the prophets are dead. So that's kind of a half-truth. And then there's this no. Because Elijah says, I am the only one left. Have you ever felt like the only one? I'm the only one, God. In this crazy culture, I'm the only one. And now they, Jezebel, are trying to kill me too. You know what God said in verse 18? It says, here's what God said to Elijah. Yet I will preserve, I have preserved 7,000 others. Hey, Elijah, you think you're the only one? You're not. There are 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed down to Baal or kissed him. Good news, you're not the only one. God always has a remnant. God has a remnant in America. God is doing a great work in America. America might be more poised for revival than she's been in a long, long time. So then Elijah, we got to hurry. Then Elijah, Elijah, you know, God says to Elijah, okay, I want you to go stand out in the cave. Outside the cave. So he goes outside the cave, and, and here's our teaching point. Um, Jehovah, uh, Jehovah presents himself through the wind, an earthquake, and a fire. All signs of his power. If we had time, we could go into what all that means. But there's this raging wind that literally rips the rocks off the side of the mountain. Then there's an earthquake. And then... There's a raging fire that sweeps in front of Elijah. And then God speaks in a gentle voice. You know what he says? Elijah, what are you doing here? See, I love you. You want to tell me what I love about God? You know, regardless of the circumstances, God always says, the right thing in the right way at the right time. See, there are some times I need a wind. There are times I just need God to rip rocks off of mountains. There, there's times I need an earthquake when God just shakes my world. 
There are times I need a fire of the Holy Spirit burning in me. But sometimes, sometimes, I need a gentle whisper. I need my dearest daddy. I need my dearest daddy to whisper, Dwayne, I love you. I've got this. Don't worry. I've got this. And God asked that question again, but he asked it through that gentle whisper, Elijah, what are you doing here? And Elijah gives the same answer. But, but, but we learn in verse number 15a the, the motivation, what God has. So, so God told him after he says, you know, I'm the only one and all of that. He says, look, I want you to go back the same way you came. I want you to go back the same way you came. Here's the news. Elijah, I'm just not done with you. You can't die because I'm not done with you. And, and Elijah... I'm not done with Israel. I need for you to step up. I need for you to go back. I want you to go back the same way you came. See, sometimes, I don't even know what this means, but I, I thought of it twice, almost said. Sometimes the way out was the way in. Sometimes the way out is the way in. We, we retrace our steps back. So you say, Dwayne, I don't know how to find God. Well, how'd you find him the first time? Retrace your steps. Go back. Go back. And our last teaching point says it well. You know, you know he sends Elijah to a, to a new calling. He sends Elijah back with a new purpose. Again, God wasn't done with him or Israel. And this last thing I want to share with you, I really pray we'll take it home with us today. Uh, it was David Jeremiah who said it, and it's really kind of a remake of an old quote. But here's what it says. A man of God, a woman of God, a student of God, in the will of God, or doing what God called them to do, is immortal until his work is done. Wow. Hey, Jezebel! I don't care because I'm immortal till my God says otherwise. Cancer, I got news for you. I'm immortal till God says I'm done. Now, I may be sooner than you won't, but I'm telling you, cancer don't call the shots. God does. Circumstances don't call the shots. God does. The man of God, the woman of God, the child of God, the student of God is immortal until his work is done. So Elijah packs up. And you know what he does? Goes and obeys God. So today, I don't, I don't know. I don't know where you are. I know last week I had a day that was just plumb difficult. I just couldn't shake it. Didn't involve death or anything, but I couldn't shake it. And the next day started out pretty hard too. And then a light came. And I realized that, that God wasn't done. 
that God said, I worked all day on a message. And no matter how hard I, I closed my door, the, the staff didn't even see me for a whole day. When I finally came out at the end of the day, they said, are you okay? I said, yeah, it's just one of those days. But I spent all day working on a message. It was like, it was like I was wrestling with the word of God. But guess what? He came through. He came through. And the product of that, by the way, is going to be what you're going to hear next week about Paul finishing well. So there you go. The end. There's a man who died on a cross that people like you and me could have forgiveness of sins. Those of us who have trusted him had the privilege of calling God Father. It happens when, when we were willing to agree with God that we were sinners, we were willing to turn away from our sin and choose to follow Jesus. And if that's something you never... has nothing to do with being a Baptist, nothing to do really with church. has everything to do with turning from my sin, believing, turning from my sin, and following Jesus. If that's something that you have not done, and boy, all of a sudden you're saying, this makes sense somehow. My friend Brent's going to be standing down front. Maybe you're just overwhelmed. Maybe you are tired and exhausted. Maybe you're filled with anxiety about the future. Can I make a suggestion? Our altar is going to be open. Maybe you just want to come and pray. Say, God, I need to be honest with you. I am fearful. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. And Jesus, you said, if I will come to you, you will give me rest. And I'm believing that today. Maybe you want to come. Whatever we can do to help you and pray with you is what we want to do. I want you to leave here today as your pastor. I want you to leave here today knowing that your God is greater than your fears. You've perhaps found yourself on the journey of Elijah. I want you to leave here knowing your God is greater than your fears. Let's pray. Thanks, Father, for the privilege of sharing this today, this wonderful truth. Oh, thank you that you are faithful to Elijah and you're going to be faithful to us. The God of the past was faithful and the God of the present is faithful and so is the God of the future. If there's someone here today who has never yet put their faith in you, may today be that day. And if some of these people that, like me, well, sometimes I get so exhausted and so filled with anxiety. Father, it gets pretty dark. Would you, Father, let us know and believe that you are not affected by darkness, that darkness and light are the same to you. So touch the hearts of your people today. And Jesus, I pray this in your special and powerful and precious name. Amen.